welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be looking at the Oklahoma City Thunders Salt Lake City debut, the monstrous game they had, Chet Holmgren, J-Dub, and more, how they performed, and what is upcoming for OKC tonight. On top of it all, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out, though, with the Summer League debut. I've been prefacing for last night's game for about a week. If you guys have not already listened to it, I talked about a lot of different members of this team, in particular the Exhibit 10 guys, Gabe Brown, Jaden Shackelford, even have a post on SI.com about... Cameron Woods, the head coach, but they didn't even have to play. They didn't start in the Summer League debut. Going up against the Utah Jazz, OKC had a pretty fun roster in store. Now, there was obviously the whole talk of who's going to be available for some of these games because Oklahoma City have a lot of young players, and there's only so many guys you're going to throw out Summer League invites to, especially people that are not in-house already looks like they were playing just about everybody in their debut game Trey Mann was called out due to health and safety protocols about two hours before this game I would not be surprised if he picked it up off a bowling alley uh COVID that is if you know that's ultimately what probably he was ruled out for because he's been bowling there for the last week if you guys follow him on Instagram This guy's dropping 200-point games like it's nothing over there. I'll say this. I'm I'm a pretty solid bowler. I don't know how I'd stack up against Trey Mann, but it would would be interesting. He'd probably destroy me, though. Um, But anyways, he was out for this, but they were just able to retool the starting lineup a little bit. Josh Giddey and Aaron Wiggins were the one and two. JRE was at the three. And then you have Poku and Holmgren where you can kind of flip-flop them at the 4 or 5. So Chet Holmgren gets to debut in this game. And then for the Jazz, basically they were running the Salt Lake City Stars G League team. And a couple of Jazz guys. Jared Butler's the main one here. But for the most part, they were facing G League pickups for this game. I think that's kind of what the Jazz are looking to find here. Maybe a two-way contract guy. But they don't have a lot of youth on their roster right now especially after that Rudy Gobert trade. A lot of their assets are either vets or incoming assets they'll find in the draft. So, you know, you're looking on paper, OKC as the upper hand, but you were not ready for the Chet Holmgren show. This guy comes in with stakes higher than ever for a pick. Number two pick in the draft in high school. He's consensus number one prospect in college. Consensus number one prospect. He was the number one prospect until the Orlando Magic got the number one envelope. And even then, Jabari Smith looked to be the guy. It was Paulo the entire time. So, Chet was kind of stapled as the number two prospect after the lottery. Goes to OKC and just look at his frame. I mean, he's a seven foot one, 195-pound center. And that can be an issue for a lot of people. There are guys saying that he's one of the skinniest dudes they've ever seen on the floor. And there's going to be naysayers about how he's going to perform, you know, at the NBA level. But he walks in and goes toe-to-toe with Kofi Coburn, who dominated with Illinois the last couple seasons. I think he has, like, maybe 
95 pounds on him. You know, this is a guy who's on the doorstep of 300 pounds. So not a small guy. Back to basket type. This is the ideal matchup to kind of test Holmgren and how he's able to stand firm. And then you have Taco Fall off the bench, who's 7'6". So that is another story in of itself. Anyways, though, botched jump ball doesn't go OKC's way. Doesn't matter because Chet destroyed to open this contest. This is a game where, from what I've seen in Summer League, this is the best quarter of Summer League play I've seen from somebody. Chet just strolls into town. By the end of the first quarter, he drops 13 points and has three blocks. It's a 29-9 lead for the Thunder. And I did the I did the numbers on this. OKC had three quarters where they outscored their opponent by 20 this past regular season. First summer league game, they smash Utah by 20 points. And a lot of it has to be credited to what Chet did. He played nine minutes in this first quarter and basically checked every single box you could have asked of him. What is Chet's primary job? I think from the initial inspection and from one game we saw it, but there's going to be more to his game. He's going to improve how the Thunder are able to space the basketball court. Seven foot one. He's able to ball handle a little bit, but he shot about 40% from distance with Gonzaga. And the Thunder just don't have true fives who can shoot the basketball. Mike Muscala, he's going to return, but he's not a long-term option. And the guys that they plugged in as stretch fives aren't centers. Jeremiah Robinson Earl's not a center. Isaiah Roby's not a center. The only time they're playing the five is when you kind of face a desperate matter. And that is what happened the last two years. With Holmgren, he's going to be playing the five, and he does a better job at stretching the floor than both of them. I think you can go ahead and say Roby he's off the team going to San Antonio. That's going to be a fun fit for him. Uh, we'll see kind of how he slides in. Cause I know the Spurs have sort of a similar situation at the four spot after, you know, they ended up drafting Sohan. So I don't know. He'll plug in. He'll be in the rotation. Good waiver claim. Anyways, OKC has needed that stretch five, and he was not shy about playing in high ball screen situations to open the game. Cam Woods, head coach of the Summer League group, did a great job to open the contest. Just ball screen after ball screen. Put everybody else in the corner, let Josh Giddy and Holmgren play one and two action, and it turned into a pop-a-shot match for Holmgren. At first, it really didn't look like that. Josh Giddy was the primary person in the first quarter where he'd get a screen, you'd see them kind of drop, and he'd actually attack the drop coverage, which is a bit surprising for Giddy, knowing his, you know, kind of floor IQ. He knows where everybody is. So he was attacking the basket, he was getting foul calls, but then he flipped a switch to where he was actively looking to hit Holmgren with shots, and yielded some results three-pointer after three-pointer he hit three triples in the first quarter went four of five from the field and some of the blocks were just ridiculous you know three in nine minutes with no fouls that is spectacular the first block of his Coburn is right under the basket trying to gain positioning and He's kind of got Holmgren, you know up on his rear end There's there's a little bit of room for him to go up for a layup as soon as he goes up for the shot, 
Holmgren closes the distance. Seven foot six wingspan smashes it up against the glass. And then he basically just spikes it up over the backboard. And that's block number one. Then you get to the Taco Fall show where you're kind of getting those like Duke UCF type of feelings whenever Zion had to play Taco. Taco just ran through them in some plays because of just how large he was. Taco was a non-factor really for the game. But in this first quarter, Holmgren still was just dominating him from a defensive standpoint. He went up for a block or he went up. Taco Fall went up for a standing dunk, excuse me. He barely got off the ground. I guess he just realized it, but Holmgren got up there, jump ball. I think in this quarter, there was another block that Holmgren had on Taco, but it was wacky. If you were looking at Twitter, you know that there was just tweet after tweet about how insane he was playing and what his numbers would look like if the game ended. 52 points and 12 rebounds if he kept to that pace. Uh, But yeah, it was really a perfect first quarter for him. And it was on both ends, clearly. I think the biggest breakthrough, though, was just the three-point shot. I mean, he just casually shot right over the top of Taco Fall for two triples. And he went to the bench after an insane pass, uh, really sequence, I guess you could chalk it up as. You had a Jazz member try to work him in the mid-range. I think it was a turnaround. Holmgren closes the distance, tips it, gets the basketball in his hand, goes behind the back from his left hand to his right hand because he has his man kind of leaning towards his left, breaks through that, runs in transition, no-look pass to Jalen Williams, and this is J-Dub. Absorbs contact and one shot, and yeah, you're looking at the 20-point lead, like I said. So, OKC basically had a whole Sports Center top 10 list with Chet in the first quarter, but they just kept going, and they kept just tacking on point after point. Utah was just unable to score anything. They went 2 of 19 in the first quarter. In the second quarter, was kind of much of the same. Utah did a better job of kind of closing the gap a little. They actually outscored them by five here. But continuing to find options. Chet, two of two in the second quarter. Jalen Williams, J-Dub, ends up with eight points all off of cuts in quarter number two. And yeah, you could kind of tell that the door was being shut on the Jazz. Holmgren, by halftime, had 18 points. Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who has started for most of last season for Oklahoma City. I think it was at least like 30 games for him. Um, He tied his career high after his first 12 minutes in a Thunder jersey. That is wacky. And I know it doesn't go in the record books. Like this doesn't count as a real game. Just think about that, man. Jeremiah Robinson Earl was the option at the five. Basically played a similar role to what Chet did in the first quarter. Set a screen, pop to the three, shoot at the top of the key. 18 points was the bar he set. Chet Holmgren walks in and gets it in 12 minutes of play. Second half, it's still just all Oklahoma City. You know, this was the time where you didn't need Holmgren to play. You didn't need Giddy to play. You didn't need any of these guys to play. But Cam Woods was looking to keep it up. He wanted a full 48 minutes of this rotation. And they just 
kept ringing in bucket after bucket. There weren't too many blemishes on this roster last night, so Utah was sort of frazzled. For them, they just had such a difficult time, and I'll talk about this in a second, but they could not get to the interior for shots, so they had to just pray that three-pointers went in. And they did a better job than OKC from distance, but it wasn't a good enough stat line that's going to alter the game. OKC had it from all three levels this entire night. Utah couldn't even find one consistent zone where they could get shots up. And in this third quarter, you could really see that. OKC outscores them by 10 in this frame, and Utah goes 2 of 9 from the charity stripe. That's going to basically call it for this basketball game. And quarter number 4 was just kind of Cam letting it roll with their rotations. Everybody was getting their shots at the perimeter. Still saw plenty of passes around to everyone, and they end up winning this game by a hearty 21-point margin, 98-77. to That would have tied the highest victory last year that the Thunder had. So just kind of keep that in mind um, on how big this was. OKC, when they won last year, did not win by a big margin. And the skill difference is kind of evident here. I think the best way to compare this is this Thunder group has basically all played with each other for a full season. I know you're adding rookies on, but top to bottom, this group was kind of formidable already. Utah was just picking all across the G League realm, so they had about three days of practice. OKC, they have had, in some cases, years, and others just like weeks of kind of getting to know each other, so you can really see that synergy was what led OKC to just staying above by 20 points this entire night, but they just overpowered them virtually everywhere on the court, so I want to talk about the big man from this game, Chet Holmgren, and a couple other guys that stood out to me in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, You can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. Right now, OKC is dealing with the Summer League. Big time win in their debut might be favored to win against the Grizzlies tonight and going into Vegas as well. You guys can check some of those odds over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Check out the game-by-game over-unders. I know Chet probably wasn't projected to reach 20 last night. He sure as hell did, so that could be a pretty good look for you guys. Make sure to just check that all out over at DraftKings Sportsbook. And if you want to look at this deal, go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make your first deposit, and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing on, though, I want to talk about the players from this game. And honestly, you could make a whole 45-minute pod on Chet Holmgren and what he was able to do against the Utah Jazz last night. It was that glorious for him in his debut. I'm going to reiterate what I said to open this podcast, 
But Chet Holmgren has had such a target on his back since being selected. And even through this pre-draft process, you know, it's kind of been this talk of he's not going to work in terms of his frame, this and that. It's one game in the summer league, so you're right. I think the big thing is the matter of injuries, which that's a valid pointer. I know OKC's medical team has probably looked into this already, but that's the one concern. It's the injury risk. In terms of skill, you can't deny him because of his frame. He is a skillful guy, and he made sure to let everybody know that from start to finish in this basketball game. Chet Holmgren dictated the game on both sides of the basketball court. I think if you took Chet Holmgren out of this game, even though OKC clearly had more options on their roster last night, they had more NBA players on their team, this would have been a game that was decided probably in the 10 to 15 point range. And it could have been even thinner because that is how much of an impact Chet made. And it just cut off so many different options for the Utah team. If you look at the Jazz's summer league roster, it's Jared Butler and it's everybody else. I'm looking at Kofi Coburn and I'm looking at Taco Fall as the guys that need to be big time contributors on this team when they go to Vegas. Coburn, he looked good in the G League elite camp. I think he played there for the last two seasons. Taco Fall, you already know how he is. He's able to just get stats and bunches because of his frame. They were both non-factors in this basketball game. Chet Holmgren finished with seven rebounds on the night. When you look at the other guys he faced, which was primarily Coburn and Fall, Coburn had seven rebounds and Taco Fall had four. Taco Fall's 7-6, well over 300 pounds, and he could not get positioning over Chet Holmgren. There were guards able to just get the rebound because Fall was just entirely blocked out of some of these rebound opportunities. That is a controlling factor, but when Chet is playing right under the rim, these big guys were not able to get good quality looks over him. They could... They could push him around. That's not the question. Like, there were moves where Coburn had that initial, you know, gap, same with Fall, where they could have gone up for a layup or could have gone up for a dunk attempt. But because Chet Holmgren is so fast on his feet and he has the length and kind of agility when he goes up, he's able to close out really fast and you're not able to get those quick and easy dunks on him that some other guys are able to. So he was swatting everything out of the vicinity. Vic Law, I think it was, tried going up for a poster. He slashed in from the left baseline. He needed to rethink things. I think as soon as he went airborne, he knew he made a mistake. Got met at the rim by Chet Holmgren. Picked up, I think, his fifth block there, and he finished with six blocks. That's a summer league high for the Utah circuit. Like, historically, that's the most. And Holly Rowe told that to Chet after the game, and He's just nonchalantly like, oh, that's the record. I'm going to break that next game. Like, (laughs) he just has that confidence to him. And he's able to back it up when he plays. So, it wasn't just rejections. It was just the radius of shots he's able to defend. It's not all about the one category of who's getting more uh, rejections in basketball games, right? It comes down to how are you able to alter shots? How can you contest without fouling? That's what Chet did. He only had three fouls. One of them came in the fourth quarter. But, you know, when guys were kind of sifting through high ball screens, Holmgren was able to drop because they didn't have a good enough shooter. It's kind of, 
the same predicament OKC had last year. And it's not like there was a lot of off-ball movement to the basket. So Holmgren got to stay in the mid-range. He was able to switch back onto his guy when needed. And when guards kind of pressed him and tried to force fouls, he remained straight up and that shot's not going in because you are not going to be able to see over Chet Holmgren when he's got his his arms completely vertical, you know? So the paint play was just non-existent for the Jazz. And when you don't have that isolation, give me a bucket when you can type of player, you are going to just get absolutely steamrolled in these games. And that is exactly what ended up happening for the Utah Jazz. When you look at the kind of points in the paint play, it's so obvious the Jazz were just kind of stuck on an island. OKC outscored them 54-22 to in this area. 22 points is pathetic for points in the paint. I'm sorry, it's just not good. And if you plugged in Holmgren... And let's say JRE was going to be your starting center, or even J Will as your starting center. I guarantee they're dropping 30, 35 plus points in the paint, and that's an entirely different ball game that you're kind of assessing. But they couldn't get into the areas necessary, and it forced them to play from distance. And as the Thunder kind of struggled with last year, it's a game where it's so testy. Even when you shoot 40% from distance, if you can't get inside and your team or the other team can, it's going to be a hard, hard night for you. It's still an uphill battle. And if you're shooting 30% from distance, you are losing that basketball game. That's what's going to happen. You don't really need to look any further than that because that's how the game is ultimately going to be ran. The Jazz shot 10 of 29 from three, 15 of 27 from the foul line. And they lost by 20 plus, you know, so you can really credit it to Chet, but Chet's overall game outside of SWATs was really historic for what we've seen in a Thunder Summer League game. Last year's Summer League, you didn't really get to see everybody on full display. Like, I I think you could make the case Rob Edwards was the best player last year because he just scored 23 points two times. But Josh Giddy was injured. Trey Mann was kind of still getting in the groove. He didn't shoot well, like, at all to open the summer league. Holmgren just walks in, 23 points, 7 rebounds, 6 blocks, 4 assists in 24 minutes. And he only took 9 shots to get there, guys. 9 shots to get 23 points. That is a special, special stat line to start things out with. A lot of those points came off of his three-point play. I already noted the pick-and-pop was sort of the go-to target for Chet. He went four of six on those three balls, but still in transition. One of the biggest factors that everyone kind of loves about Holmgren is how he's able to create shots off of his downhill play. He's able to stop, pop, and pull it from the top of the key and if the the defender's not playing up on you, that's a wide open shot. That's a shoot around bucket for Chet Holmgren. And that's going to go in a good amount of the time. He did kind of mess around with that. You saw him go between the legs, kind of getting the basketball on his left hand before pulling up on his shots. Look comfortable the entire length of the night from the three-point area. 
on twos. He was looking to drive in on smaller opponents. Utah, I think if if they redid this game, they would have made a lot of defensive adjustments. They didn't make hardly any last night. And I, I could seriously say, like, maybe they didn't even make any at all. Because all the ones they did were super minuscule, and they never really packed the paint, which is what they needed to do to get back in this basketball game. Because of that, though, Chet's taken one-on-one opportunities against a guy basically like a foot smaller than him and getting foul calls because that's the only thing the defender can do. Five of five from the free throw line. When he was right under the basket, he was still dunking it down. Plenty of times he set a high ball screen and he could have slipped to the basket because Utah centers were just so flat-footed. They were basically taken out of the game off of screens. So you had the most efficient cheat code in a summer league game that I can think of in recent memory. Josh Giddy on the return side of that, he finished with a double-double, 14 points, 11 assists. I'm sure he got a couple of those assisted to Chet Holmgren in the process, but just a complete all-around game, and he topped it off with like a Dirk-esque fadeaway where, you know, he's just working in the mid-range, turn around, kick the leg, Easy two points for Holmgren. I think he has the best performance in this year's Summer League circuit to this point. Keegan Murray obviously did well in the California Classic, but did he get six blocks? No, he didn't. Holmgren's the first dude in Summer League history to have five blocks and four made threes in a basketball game. So, yeah, he sort of separated himself from the pack already, and... National media has been covering Holmgren for the last 24 hours. And they've been covering the Thunder for the last 24 hours. They don't do that normally. The last time they were on ESPN was for an Oklahoma City Blue game in December. It wasn't even the Thunder. Last time the Thunder were on was actually in last year's Summer League too. So they don't get to see screen time when it becomes a regular season. With Holmgren... OKC has forced themselves on the national media, and it's for a damn good reason. You need to see these highlights if you have not. Um, But great everywhere. I think he ties it up with his assist game, too. And there was this one play that stuck out to me. Now, I I already noted the assist in transition. Beautiful no-look to Williams, who was slashing right baseline. That was an and one. He had a hell of a game. But this is in a half-court scenario. Jalen Williams starts with the basketball. J-Dub, that is. And he's hanging around, you know, right wing, top of the key, maybe smack dab in the middle of those zones. Kicks it to Chet Holmgren, and then he kind of loops around him, if you will. Now he's at the left wing. Eugene Omaruyi was in the painted area, backpedaled to the left corner, wide open lane because Chet being a sharpshooter being someone who just made like three three three-point shots in Taco Fall's face he has you know he has a name in this in this game you're not going to leave him open from three so Jalen Williams knifes inside and Holmgren just lofts the ball right over his defender who is Jared Butler by the way six foot three easy catch for J-Dub, easy standing one-handed jam for him. No rotations whatsoever, and it's still getting oozing and awesome from the crowd. There's so many different parts that you can pick, just pick apart with. 
Every play was a highlight for him in this game. There were a few minor issues, but most of them came in his ball handling and transition. If he tightened up with that and he didn't turn it over, you know, two times, which, oh, two times, whatever, right? Then this would have been a perfect game, and it basically is a perfect game. He was the star of the show, the star of the Summer League to this point, and he's really set the bar for any other rookie in this class, and it's a very high one that will need to be stumped from the get-go. He kind of showed what the Thunder could end up being. I know it's an overreaction to one game, but OKC has been kind of building around for a type of player such as Chet Holmgren, someone who's able to set you that ball screen, pop to the three, score, or cut inside and get you a basket. Just someone who compliments SGA and Josh Giddy in the pick and roll department, but he can also create for himself and he can actually defend on screens, which the Thunder have not had a player like that at the five that I can think of in a significant role. It just wasn't a thing that this team was kind of built around. I think Presti sort of jotted that down. That's something they need to hone in on. And Holmgren fills in all those gashes. You can see by Utah's floor spacing that because Holmgren is spacing it out at the center spot, you had to make some hard adjustments where they had to take guys like Fall and Coburn out, play small, and the lane's wide open for players to just knife back door. It was a mutilation, and I'm sure Utah would have played this game differently. The adjustment would have been packed the paint a little bit because OKC really didn't shoot well from three this game. But because they left the door open, and because OKC could run five out the entire night, Anyone could drop 10 points in this game, and you don't bat an eye at it. That's just how wide open the court was for anybody to contribute in this game. And Chet was one. Josh Giddey's two with his 14 points and 11 assists. But how about J-Dub coming off the bench, dropping 17 points and five rebounds? When Trey Mann was ruled out for the game, it was a stinger. Because you want to see as much action as possible from Trey Mann. He can light it up. He can be the isolation scorer. And with no SGA in the picture, uh, in the picture, you're able to put him in rotations that he won't have as easy of access to when we get into the regular season. So he got plugged out. But because of that, J-Dub got to play 26 minutes, led the team in that category, and went 8 of 11 from the field. 17 points. And it would have been hard to know that because it was just quick succession buckets the entire time. He didn't handle the basketball in the half court often at all. You can kind of see that by his zero assists on the game. But you just stuck him in the corner, cut inside, bucket after bucket after bucket. Couple dunks in the mixture too. This guy's athletic. 39-inch vertical. Had a defensive rebound in the first quarter where you thought the man had some stilts on. I think the the comparison I used on my Twitter was it looked like he was at Sky Zone. Put the ticket in. He's out there on the mini hoops just jumping on the trampoline over there. He can do like a, a backflip dunk, you know, maybe between the legs a couple times. Anything he wanted, he could have done because he was skying up for a lot of possessions. And we didn't even see him tap into his real game 
which is how he's able to create on the basketball. The one time he even expanded his game past a simple cut was a three-pointer off a DHO, and he stuck it down, went one of one from three. A-plus game for him, too. Jalen Williams, and I said this on the pod, I said this on my draft day guide, basically I've said it everywhere. I've been rooting for J-Dub to be here for months, and I'm going to stand true by that. I got the receipts for it, guys. He's going to be an off-ball player, most likely, this season, but he's going to be good there, and he's going to be able to branch out and tap into his other side of the game on the basketball. He contributes at either level in a really good manner. You know, there's no other cut to that story. I think in Vegas, we'll see a lot more point J-Dub. We didn't see it at all in this one, though, and he was still a top three player for this Thunder team. Jeremiah Robinson Earl still gets a tip of the cap, too. He only played 19 minutes, but this was just a casual near double-double. Nine points, 10 rebounds on the game. He led OKC in that department. And then you kind of get down to some other guys who maybe didn't play as much, but they were still able to kind of chip in some buckets here. If you were going to look at maybe the biggest losers from the night, it would be Alexei Pokashevsky and Usman Jang. And... It's obviously like the hypocritical take where you're like, well, you shouldn't care about these games. You shouldn't overreact to summer league games. But Chet Holmgren's just a monster. Jalen Williams is just a monster. Um, and and when guys underperform, uh, it was summer league game. We'll move on to the next one. It doesn't really matter when how these guys played, but I still think you should take a look at it. Alexei Pokashevsky shot three of ten from the floor, eleven points. Four rebounds and three turnovers. Alexei Pokashevsky is going to play like Alexei Pokashevsky, man. He has a brand of basketball that is very hard to find around the league. And that is basically street ball play all the time. Sometimes he'll be your superstar. Sometimes you're looking to take him out of the game. This was one where he was just kind of cold the whole way. Put him in the wing and he just let it rip from distance. One of five from there. He actually got five free throw attempts, which is pretty impressive for Poku because he had a really difficult time even scathing the line the last two seasons, but he was able to contribute there. So hats off to him. He had a diving um, like pass where he had to go behind the back. This kind of looks similar to the one he had with Moses Brown where he threw like an alley-oop damn near to him, and this was in the G League bubble. It was like that, where he's tight roping the sideline, has to flip it backwards, goes to Holmgren, and he just slams it down with two hands, hangs on the rim for good measure. So he makes the game fun, but he wasn't the most efficient guy. And going into his third year, I think you are going to have to raise the quota for him to get minutes. There is potential, but also you got to start getting into that phase where you're looking to figure out who's going to be the consistent guy you're going to give minutes to when you're looking to win basketball games. I know it still has not reached that stage, but when you're moving on into your fourth season next year, you're going to have to start looking at extensions. You have to kind of hone in on consistency. And though Poku, when he is on, is extremely on, you still have games where he's not going to be able to 
make that significant impact. And it's not based on the level of play. He's a better NBA player than he is a G League player. As crazy as it sounds, it is 100% factual. He does better on an NBA floor. I think it's because he's such a polarizing player. His frame allows him to get open shots. It's just a matter of making them. And he's shown a lot more comfort with the OKC Thunder than he has with the Blue. It seems twisted on how that works, but it's how it works, man. He's still going to play probably most of this summer league. I know that the veterans, so to speak, are not supposed to play this entire time. But Poku is one where I'd imagine the Thunder still want to evaluate him and try to get a couple more games in with some of these incoming rookies. One of those is going to be Usman Jang, and he wasn't a big impact in this game. Had 10 points and 4 rebounds. 4 of 15 from the floor, though, and the shot just wasn't falling. He went 1 of 9 from the field. He didn't look like a lottery prospect in this game, but I think the knowledge was you were picking him based on potential. How was he able to handle the basketball? How was he able to create? He had a couple of really good possessions where he did create in the half court, but when it came down to hitting that three ball off the catch, it wasn't there. He wasn't known for his shot-making ability with the New Zealand Breakers. Um, He did pick it up to end the NBL season, but for the most part, he wasn't a shooter. OKC has that desperate problem on catch-and-shoot threes, so the goal is that Usman is able to develop that. Right now, he's sort of a clean slate prospect where you are supposed to have kinks in this, and this was one of them. First game in a Thunder jersey, you don't really need to care all that much about it. Jay Will went one of six in this game, had three assists though, which is pretty damn good. And he had a charge, picking up right where he left off with his time at Arkansas. That basically rounds it up. Aaron Wiggins and Eugene Amarui had five and seven points respectively. Eugene did a really good job playing off the ball too, but you could have drawn this up better for... OKC's Summer League debut. They are the team to beat in Salt Lake City now, and if they continue this action, they're going to be the number one team going into Las Vegas as well. I'll need to take a look at the betting odds, but I know Chet Holmgren entered last night before the game, I think third in Rookie of the Year voting. He could be climbing up just off of one effort, and if he plays big minutes tonight against the Grizzlies, it's going to go up even more. You could see him being the front runner, maybe, just off of that. And there is good reason. Blocking shots all over the place. The rebounds are going to come naturally. He looked good passing in the half court, and he made shots. <laughs> I mean, what more do you need to look at? We're going to see more of him against the Grizzlies, hopefully, tonight. And that's going to be, obviously, great for everybody looking to evaluate Chet. You could call it quits after this one, though. And you wouldn't really be all that upset about it. Do you want to see as much action from the Rooks as possible? Yes. You want to look into health. You want to look into, you know, looking at other guys and how they fill into the roster later. Didn't even see most of these Exhibit 10 time, uh, Exhibit Ten guys last night. So you do need to get that into account. I'm really excited to see OKC face up against the Grizzlies. They have, once again, a really well-rounded front court where it's just big bodies that 
I think are going to be good tests for Holmgren. Santi Aldama dropped 20-some-odd points when the Grizzlies had their largest win in NBA history last December. I don't think Holmgren's allowing that this time around. Santi is someone who plays in the post. Xavier Tillman is another guy who lives around the basket. I'm especially excited to see him because I think he's more of a seasoned NBA player. And then off the bench, EJ Onu, who, if you guys follow me on Twitter, know I really like him for the OKC Blue. It looks like his rights will be retained by the Memphis Grizzlies, though. Six foot ten with a seven foot eight wingspan. I want to watch that. And EJ is the leading blocker in the CEBL. That's the Canadian kind of NBA circuit, if you will. They just started things back up. But that's a good test on both sides of the floor because they do match up in terms of measurables. My favorite guy and two of my favorite guys are on this Grizz team, though. Kenny Lofton Jr. and Vince Williams Jr. Kenny Lofton dominated in the G League Elite camp, dominated at the NBA Combine, went undrafted, but got a two-way deal from the Grizz, who, as everyone knows, blossomed from the grit and grind style with guys like Zach Randolph. Lofton, I think, is still going to be super efficient. He's going to be one of the better players in Summer League just because guys like him succeed in these types of events. When you're looking to go one-on-one, you might not have the best playbook handy. You need to find guys who can get you a bucket. Kenny Lofton has amazing footwork, maybe the best interior footwork um, in this class, I'd say top five. And he's going to get guys up off his feet. So we'll see if he's able to get anybody going. Jay Will, JRE, Gabe Brown, if he gets minutes. And then Vince Williams Jr., he's not going to be a guy who's like dominating in terms of maybe the points. But if he does flare up for like 15 or 18, I wouldn't be all that surprised. This was the one dude who I had no clue why he slid so far, but I know why he's in a Grizzlies jersey. He's a two-way threat, catch-and-shoot option who can also play a couple different positions as a wing defensively, and he also has some on-ball creation skills. Went three of four last night from distance. That's all he shot. I think he'll be in that exact same role. And you still have Zaire Williams and Jake LaRavia you need to talk about too. LaRavia, role player, 3 and D type. Zaire Williams, he had playoff minutes. He's kind of the lead guy for the Memphis Grizzlies. This game's going to tee off at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time though. I'm going to have the coverage on that uh, tomorrow morning on SI.com slash NBA slash Thunder. And I should have a pod out to go along with that. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.